Welcome to CMAJ Podcasts. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor. Today I'll be talking about the June 16th, 2015 issue of the Canadian Medical Association Journal. In this issue, we cover topics as diverse as social egg freezing, Canadian policies on radon, and the management of developmental coordination disorder. But first, let's talk about the two research studies published in this issue. The first research paper looks at the use of nitrofurantoin to treat urinary tract infections, or UTI, in older women, specifically the effect of kidney function on urine concentration of the drug. Nitrofurantoin is a first-line antibiotic commonly used to treat uncomplicated UTI. Therapeutic concentrations are achieved only in the urine, and the drug is eliminated primarily by glomerular filtration. The drug is not recommended for patients with an estimated glomerular filtration rate or GFR below 60. Does the reduction of the estimated GFR common in older adults affect safety and efficacy of nitrofurantoin in UTI? To answer this question, the authors conducted a population-based study of older women over the age of 65 in Ontario, whose estimated GFR was relatively low, median 38, and who had received one of four antibiotics, nitrofurantoin, ciprofloxacin, norfloxacin, or a combination of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. This group was compared to a similar group with a relatively high estimated GFR, the median was 69. The authors looked at two measures of treatment failure over the two weeks after the antibiotic was given, receipt of a second antibiotic used for TI, or an emergency department visit or hospital admission with a UTI. The authors found that relative to nitrofurantoin, the other antibiotics were associated with a lower rate of treatment failure among women with relatively low estimated GFR, but they also found that a similar risk of treatment failure was observed among women with a relatively high GFR. The authors conclude that the presence of mild to moderate reductions in estimated GFR does not justify avoidance of nitrofurantoin. An author interview on this topic is available through CMAJ Podcasts. The second research paper looks at a completely different topic, the incidence of psychotic disorders among first-generation immigrants and refugees in Ontario. Evidence suggests that migrant groups have an increased risk of psychotic disorders and that the level of this risk varies by country of origin and host country. The authors constructed a retrospective cohort that included people aged 14 to 40 living in Ontario as of 1999. They linked population-based administrative data from physician billings and hospital admissions to data from Citizenship and Immigration Canada. In the cohort they developed of over 4.2 million people, they found higher rates of psychotic disorders among immigrants from the Caribbean and Bermuda, while lower rates were found among those from Northern Europe, Southern Europe, and East Asia. Refugee status was an independent predictor of risk, with higher rates specifically among refugees from two areas, East Africa and South Asia. The authors conclude that this differential pattern of risk across ethnic subgroups suggests that psychosocial and cultural factors associated with migration may contribute to the risk of psychotic disorders. For more on this important issue, there's an accompanying commentary that emphasizes the importance of collecting this type of epidemiologic data to better plan clinical services for this vulnerable group. A podcast with the author of the research study is available through CMAJ Podcasts. Two CMAJ Open research studies are also highlighted in this issue. 
One looks at the cost of treating teens with anorexia in hospital. The answer is a lot, nearly $55,000 per admission, while the other reports on a rigorous and rapid needs assessment to identify potential gaps in the provision of critical care to patients with suspected or confirmed Ebola in a Canadian tertiary care hospital. Now, around 5 to 6% of school-aged children have developmental coordination disorder, an under-recognized condition. It is important to make the diagnosis because many of the motor and psychosocial difficulties associated with this disorder continue into adulthood if untreated, and there are successful evidence-based interventions available. The review in this issue looks at the risk factors, diagnosis, and management of this common disorder based on a comprehensive literature search and provides practical advice for clinicians. Facebook and Apple recently announced that they would provide limited insurance coverage for the cost of egg freezing as an employee benefit, and a small but growing number of women choose to freeze their eggs to preserve their future fertility. What are the risks and benefits of social egg freezing? In this issue's analysis article, the authors caution that the evidence is limited as to the outcomes for live-born children and remind readers that adverse events associated with both in vitro fertilization and later life pregnancies are well known. An author interview on this controversial topic is also available through CMAJ Podcasts. The practice section of this issue features a What Is Your Call article in which a 30-year-old woman presents with a two-day history of vision loss and painful eye movements in her right eye. What was the diagnosis? You'll have to read the article to find out. Have you heard of McKittrick-Wheelock syndrome in which big villous adenomas produce large volumes of electrolyte-containing mucin? The case report in this issue describes a typical case and why it is important to make this diagnosis early. With the recent outbreak of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome in Korea, the practice article on five things to know about this syndrome is a must-read for those unfamiliar with this condition. Elsewhere in the June issue are Humanities articles on what it means to slap a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome on a child and on the false dichotomy between the art and science of medicine. The news section features a tribute to Dr. David Sackett, who changed the way we practice medicine today. Lastly, the issue includes an editorial I wrote on radon, in particular the don't ask, don't tell approach taken by the Canadian government to policy around this deadly radioactive gas. What you don't know can hurt you, and in this election year, those vying for our votes should take radon seriously. For more on the June 16th issue, see cmaj.ca. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor. Thanks for listening.